everybody. Welcome to Ubaldi Reports. Now, after New Hampshire, the presidential election is now shifted to North, South Carolina for the Republicans and Nevada for the Democrats. Now, last Saturday, the Republicans held their debate, and it was a fiery, contentious debate. And a lot of it had to do with veterans and the war in Iraq and the vision of foreign policy. Now, we'll get into the foreign policy side first. But now the race in South Carolina is focused on veterans because South Carolina has a huge amount of veteran population between the military who are on active duty and the retirees. Now, it seems like everybody is focused on veterans, but ironically, on both the Democrat and the Republican side, those running for president, not one of the candidates has served in the military. Now, this is a striking dilemma because everybody talks about how they're stronger, they'll take care of veterans, but no one has a connection to the military. The closest anybody comes is Marco Rubio, who had a brother who served in Vietnam. Now, I wrote a book called The New Business Brigade. It became a bestseller on Amazon. And if you can find it by going to Amazon or going to any of the major book retailers like Barnes & Noble... The whole purpose of the new business brigade is why businesses need to hire veterans and the untapped resource they represent. But throughout the book, I make um, analogies to the vast majority of America has no connection to the military. Now, if we take it from the political side, those running for public office, those running for president, those in Congress now, we are now less than 20 percent of both branches of Congress. This is both Republican and Democrats who have served in the military. And then if you can go deeper than that, how many of them have an actual connection? How many of their sons or daughters are serving? Now, I know like John McCain, his son served, former um, Democratic candidate for the Democratic side, James Webb, his son has served in Iraq just as long, just as... um, as well as John McCain. So very few of these political leaders have any connection to um, the military. Now, I'll get into a little bit later on this, and this is going to be reflected on their policies, how they would defeat ISIS, and how they would use the military. Now, in 2014, of May of that year, the VA was rocked by a scandal where it had started in Arizona where the, the hierarchy of the VA and each of these hospitals were padding the numbers to say that veterans were receiving treatment when they weren't. And some veterans died, and investigations are still looking into this. The only problem with this, there's no investigation by the Department of Justice, to my knowledge, and hasn't been one since. Now, everybody is talking about how we should fix the VA, what we should do, because it's an election year. But ironically, nothing was said, very little was said last year, even though some candidates do talk about it. But veterans issue has not been an important topic. Now, in May of 2014, granted, the VA scandal broke. And then that summer, uh, Bernie Sanders, who was then the chairman of the Senate uh, Veterans Affairs Committee, he and others put together a aid package or extra money for the VA, which was attuned to 17, uh, excuse me, 17 billion dollars. Now, in September of last year, the the inspector general for the VA, now this is, in a, in a, just to be nonpartisan, this is an a, a inspector general who was appointed by President Barack Obama, a Democrat, then confirmed by a Demo- the then, then democratically controlled Senate. 
So this is not a partisan issue. This is a non-partisan issue. Well, the VA Inspector General reported that 300,000 veterans likely died because they couldn't get the care they needed. And nothing was said about that. Now, in October, during a CNN debate, Anderson Cooper asked um, Bernie Sanders, who was the chairman of this committee at this time, asked him about this, but he never pursued this other aspect. And ever since then, and definitely since May of 2014, we're seeing stories after story. And I know many, many veterans who have horror stories about going to the VA, long wait times, having their medical uh, appointments canceled at the last minute without even being notified. We're definitely seeing the over-medication of veterans. Now, I know this is a big issue for me, and the reason is I served 30 years in the Marines with three combat tours to both Iraq and Afghanistan. I've seen the horrors of what happened with these veterans coming back. Now, not all veterans have received combat wounds, but a lot of veterans need, got injured for whatever the reasons, have to go to the VA, and the VA is just not there. The VA is almost pretty much absent, and nothing has changed. Now, in my book, The New Business Brigade, a friend of mine who wrote it, I mean, excuse me, read it, who was not a veteran, he was stunned when I put in that book that about 25% of the VA personnel are non-veterans. And he was like, I thought everybody would be a veteran because that's not the case. Now, I understand doctors and nurses. That's something a separate matter because it would be a little hard to get everybody to be a veteran. But that said, why aren't the administrators veterans? Almost all your administrators of these VA hospitals are non-veterans. Why can't all these colonels and generals who are retiring off active duty, why can't they be running these VA hospitals? Now, some could argue, well, they're not doctors or nurses or they're not trained in the medical profession. But I would, count, I would show something different. Many of these full bird colonels and generals, they're running multi-million dollar budgets. Everybody thinks the military has this unlimited cash flow. Well, you still got to meet budget. And these generals and colonels, they run budgets. They run divisions, air wings, and the like. I'm not expecting them to be doctors or nurses, but they know how to administer. They know how to manage, and they know how to meet budgets. Why can't they run these hospitals? So that's something to look at. And then the other thing is the high suicide rate. Now, the Washington Post came out. There's an often cited statistic that 22 of veterans die each day. And they went through and they said it's just the way the numbers are calculated. It's a very complex figure. So I'm not going to use that 22 um, veterans die every, um, every day. But what I am going to say, there's a high number of veterans, far higher than I've ever remembered. When I joined the Marines in 1982, I don't ever remember hearing these high suicide rate numbers. Even after the Gulf War, I never heard about this. Why all of a sudden are these high, are these, we got a, numerous veterans dying by suicide? Has anybody looked at the over-medication of veterans? Too often I've talked to veterans who are taking these prescription medicine for stress relief or any of the symptoms of mental you know, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. And a lot of the symptoms are they become more suicidal. Has anybody looked at that? Are there a toxicology on every 
veteran who commits suicide. Now, I've spoken to somebody who's trying to push legislation through that any time a veteran commits suicide, there's a 100% has to have a toxicology screening. Why isn't that being done? So then we can see, is it because of these prescription meds, medications these um, veterans are taking? While I served on active duty, I was dealing with Marines who went down to medical for, for a lot of the stress-related issues they were, they were receiving or they were infected with or, or they had. A lot of these Marines would come back with more medicine than my 92-year-old father was taking at the time. And nobody knows what the impact of this medication was on. They would just, I had this, check a box, and then they go. Now, the one thing with post-traumatic stress disorder, that's the final diagnosis of a medical doctor. What we use that all, we think everybody's got stress is PTSD. It's PTSD. Not every veteran has PTSD. So we got to take that classification off because the public and some of these um Nonprofit veteran groups, and I'm not trying to single anybody out, but they if you look at the commercials, every commercial is always about a, a, a veteran who's physically or mentally broken. This has to change. The veterans serve this country. Everybody was gung-ho to send them off to war, but when they come back, that's a whole nother matter. Now, again, in my book, The New Business Brigade, I mention a situation that happened to myself. I came home from Iraq at the end of 2005. My brother came down with his family, and we were going to have Thanksgiving dinner at his wife's in-law's house. So we go there, and we're having our dinner, and the dinner's over. Everybody's off watching football like you do on Thanksgiving. Well, the mother of one of her relatives of the in-laws asked me, so what are you coming down here to visit your brother? And he goes, no, I'm stationed over here at Camp Pendleton. I just got back from Iraq about two two weeks ago. And she was like, wow, a veteran from Iraq. And then she called everybody over. Hey, this guy just got back from Iraq. They never even met anybody who served in Iraq. Now, you got to remember, that's two years after the war had started. Two years. Now, can you imagine in World War II, after Pearl Harbor, or by the time two years after the war was commencing, that would have been 1943, 44-ish time frame? that you wouldn't have met somebody that served in the war. So this is what veterans face. And then when they come home and they finally get discharged or they get they, they leave uh, active duty, retire, whatever, they're going into the civilian community with very few people, very few companies know what military service is like because they haven't served. When I got back from Afghanistan in 2012, I was finally released from active duty. It took me well over a year before I ran into anybody who had military service or, for that matter, served in Iraq or Afghanistan. So these are things that the country needs to focus on. Now, getting back to the presidential election, it seems like everybody talked, we're going to do this for the VA, we're going to fix this, or I did this, I passed this law. Well, going back to what Bernie Sanders had passed in 2014. In 2009, the VA budget was around almost $95 billion. It's a, close to $170 billion today, and we still have massive problems with the Veterans Administration. So each of these candidates talk the talk, and they're pushing to the veterans, I'm going to do this for you, I'm going to do that. 
And I can't speak for all veterans, but I can only speak for myself. Talk is cheap. I want to see action. I want to see something done. And I even think the best way to do with the VA is to blow it up, not figuratively or literally, but to abolish the VA, let the veterans give them the opportunity, voucher, whatever, and let them go into the civilian world and get the treatment and their, the care they need. And then we can use that $170 billion and drive down the debt, which is $19 trillion. Because for some reason, everyone believes in Washington, if you spend more money at it, it's going to fix the problem. So we haven't seen the VA get fixed. We haven't seen any changes to the VA. We've got a new um, Secretary McDonald took over for General Shinshevsky, who was pretty much let go, or he resigned due to the VA scandal in 2014. But nothing changes. I mean, literally nothing has changed. New person, different um, individual, same outcome. So these candidates really need to be held accountable. And we can't keep spending money. But I think the reason is none of these candidates on the Democrats or Republicans have military service. They don't have any connection to the military. So as a veteran, just speaking for myself, not speaking for all veterans, I want to see action out of these um, both sides, both Republicans and Democrats. I'm tired of them playing lip service. It's like all we need to do is give you more money and that's going to solve the problem. It doesn't. And I want the media to challenge these leaders like Anderson Cooper should have asked Senator Sanders, okay, if you spend $17 billion more, why are there still massive problems? And there's continued problems with the VA. So something needs to be fixed. Now, this is the next segue into this issue with veterans, especially in South Carolina. Now, this came to the forefront last Saturday, and just like I started at the beginning of the podcast with the Republican debate, and it just got into a big firewall, big brouhaha over the war in Iraq. Now, Donald Trump, who's a leading Republican candidate, he mentioned that the war in Iraq was a mistake. I was totally against it from the beginning. And September 11th was the fault of George Bush. Now, going back to the first statement, there was no record ever of Donald Trump saying he was against the war until after the war had commenced at the end of 2003, 2004. That's when he was on record. There was no record of him saying anything publicly written or anything stating that he was against the war. So it's hard to say I was against the war from day one when we have no proof of you saying anything like that. The second aspect is to blame George Bush for September 11th. Now, there's some issues we can say about the war in Iraq, but to blame George Bush for September 11th because he was president and it happened on his watch is like blaming Franklin Roosevelt for Pearl Harbor because that means Franklin Roosevelt was ultimately responsible for Pearl Harbor because he was president for nine years when December 7th happened. But I just want the media and everybody else to challenge the assumptions of these candidates. Now, both Donald Trump and Ted Cruz have been really adamant that we would really need to attack ISIS. Ted Cruz wants to turn the sand, you know, to glow, make the sand glow, something like that. And then Donald Trump wants to bomb ISIS and take their, take their oil. The question with that is, that's just not any real sizable answer. Now, Robert Gates, the former Secretary of Defense under George Bush and Barack Obama, has said 
they're blowing hot air. That's no substance to these answers. You can't do what they're trying to do. You can't advocate that. Now, people who are supportive will say, well, yeah, we can. That's because we're not doing that now. He goes, there's no semblance of a strategy there. Now, for me, and again, I can't speak for all veterans, I'm very leery of somebody who advocates the use of the military when they were old enough to serve in a conflict when they were, when they were at, at, at a young age. Now, Donald Trump went to a prep school, military prep school. He made a statement, I think, last summer stating that my military prep school days equate to being in the military. And most all veterans are at least say, are you nuts? That doesn't equate to being that. Then also, Donald Trump received four deferments for Vietnam. And then finally, he has two sons. And right after the San Bernardino terror attack, one of his sons was on Fox News, who's about 31 years old. And he's talking, we got to be more aggressive about defeating ISIS. But nobody asked him, well, if you're so eager to defeat ISIS, you're young, you're healthy. Why don't you go serve in the military? So these are the things that need to be to be asked, and they're not asked in context. They're just they they push out this bombastic statement. Now Ted Cruz obviously wasn't old enough to serve in Vietnam, and he doesn't have kids that are old enough. I think he has two daughters. But the thing with Ted Cruz, his statements may sound good to a base, but they're not based in reality. How is he going to bomb ISIS? What would he do? He said carpet bombing. Carpet bombing has been outlawed by the Geneva Convention, which we are a signatory, in 1978. When both Ted Cruz and Donald Trump, they don't talk about what replaces ISIS. They don't talk about how they would deal with Iran, Russia, Turkey, the Gulf states, Israel, Lebanon, all these things. How would they replace Assad? Who's going to replace Assad? How would they do this? There's so many unanswered questions in this, and really they need to be challenged on their assumptions. And not to put all the pressure on Ted Cruz and Donald Trump and the other Republican candidates, but Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton are the same um, issues that have to be asked of them. Now, Bernie Sanders doesn't have much focus or much um, knowledge on the foreign policy side, but when you do talk to him about ISIS, he says, we need to defeat ISIS. But at the same time, I didn't vote for the war in Iraq. Hillary Clinton did. Now, Hillary Clinton talks about we need to do this. We need to get with our, our, our Gulf allies. We need to get with the region to do different things. The trouble with that is nobody trusts her because in the region, she's looked at as another extension of Barack Obama. So, And all they're doing is reacting to the situation on the ground. Now, General Keene who was on a news program yesterday. He was the former vice chief of staff up until 2003, and then he retired, and he became one of the architects uh, of the surge in Iraq to be proved very um, successful. He made a statement. He says, we need to get rid of all this bombastic statements from both sides, both Republicans and Democrats. We need to get rid of this, and we need a foreign policy vision, and we haven't heard that from both Republicans and Democrats. When they do talk about foreign policy, it's in a broad stroke. It's reacting to a certain crisis, like what's going on with ISIS in Syria and Iraq, Iran, China. We don't know what the foreign policy vision for Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, or any of the Republican candidates. Do they believe in an activist U.S. foreign policy? Do they believe the United States should follow the foreign policy of Barack Obama, where we've 
go into the background where we lead from behind. None of the candidates have articulated this. Now, this morning I was on a radio show here in Brooksville, uh, Florida, WWJB. And one of the questions was asked, it was regarding the military. And my statement was, every time we talk U.S. foreign policy, it's always in the same vein of uses of the military as a first resort. The military should be a last resort. We have so much tools in our arsenal that we're just not using. But unfortunately, our policymakers, those vying for the presidency, have the quick gun. Use the military. Just like what happened in Libya. You could say the same thing with the Bush administration. We don't have foreign policy visionaries where they want to take the country. Now, I would also like to know is who is advising some of these candidates? Now, one critique I have of the Obama administration is all his foreign policy advisors, they hone their skills in Washington. Joseph Biden has been a senator since I was in third or fourth grade. Uh, John Kerry has been a lifelong member of the Senate. And then some of the, Ben Rhodes came from, it was a staffer, and he was, he had a, he's the deputy national security advisor. A lot of the key advisors in the White House inner circle are all political individuals who hone their skills in Washington. These aren't visionaries who came out of the think tanks, who've studied foreign policy, who have a vision of a doctrine in foreign policy, much like the United States containment policy after World War II, how we were going to contain the Soviet Union, which proved very effective from other presidents that follow that mark. We don't have visionaries in our foreign policy. We have ideologues and political individuals. This doesn't give a good, sizable foreign policy. Now, the next president is going to have to articulate this, and a lot of it's going to be not just what he says, but what he does. Now, the the world is really, especially in the Middle East, the Middle East has been a problem for every president starting back from, from Roosevelt all the way to President Barack Obama. But because of the policies of Barack Obama, and some could say that Hillary Clinton, when, he was, uh, when she was his uh, Secretary of State, is going to be adjusted. And also, the world is, wants to see is what vision does the United States have? Are we just going to do, keep worrying about uh, focusing on tactics and operational strategy without a strategic vision? So General Keene was right. We haven't had a vision from any of the political parties or definitely the presidential candidates. Now, the three top front runners, or at least the four, Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, have never articulated a vision of where they want to go. Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton haven't articulated a vision, except I didn't vote for the war, you did. Hillary Clinton's response is, I'm more experienced than you are, but there's no vision there. When I was on that radio station last week, I was asked to rate all the candidates. So I went to all the candidates' websites, and I never found a vision for where they want to go. Some of them had very, a little bit more detail. Bernie Sanders didn't really have much. Donald Trump had nothing. Hillary Clinton was just a replication of the Obama administration foreign policy. The only one who came close was, especially as it relates to the Middle East, was Marco Rubio. And I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a supporter of Mark Rubio, I'm not supporting anybody, but he talked about Assad, Russia, China, the Gulf states. He just needs to get a little bit more detail. But even him, has, there's no vision of what you want and how you want the United States to conduct foreign policy. So these are things that the country needs to know as we move forward in this presidential election. 
But when these candidates talk about veterans, really talk about veterans, do they really mean it? Or are they just saying what you want to hear? Because we always hear about veterans' issues when it's in an election year, but nothing during an off-election year. So let's hold these candidates to what they've said, and let's help veterans. They served our country, and they deserve our support. Now, as we talk about veterans, as I mentioned, you can go and buy my book, The New Business Brigade. You can get a hard copy or a Kindle version. It's a bestseller on Amazon. My goal is to make it a bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list. And also you can get it at Barnes & Noble. So please go out and get it. Let everybody know that veterans have a unique place to play and they're definitely a, have a, will have a dynamic impact on business, politics, and every phase of American society. So let's help our veterans. You can and go to Stitcher and um, iTunes. Let me know what you think of Ubaldi Reports on this podcast. I'm trying to do these little issue-orientated podcasts to let you guys know, but let me know what you think. Go to Stitcher, iTunes, sign up. Let me know what you think. It's free. Keep listening to Ubaldi Reports. Let your friends know about Ubaldi Reports. If there's a topic that you want to know about or unsure about or just want clarification, let me know. So again, thanks for listening to Ubaldi Reports and keep listening and let your friends know. Have a great day.